Good morning. My name is Roman Gonzalez, and I uh, am the assistant pastor here at Ironworks. Uh, so if you are here for the first time, you don't know who I am. That's me. <laughs> In Matthew chapter 15, we have the, uh, the story of a Canaanite mother who um, is having some issues with her daughter. Her daughter is demon-possessed, and she is looking for Jesus. He is coming to Jesus for help, and she's crying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Uh, Matthew says that Jesus didn't reply a single word to the woman, to the mother. And it seems that the disciples are embarrassed because she is coming after them and Jesus is not saying anything. And they are like, please, Lord. Matthew says that the disciples begged him to send her away. To which Jesus said, I have been sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. When the mother came close to Jesus and she uh, uh, bowed down before him, saying, Lord, help me, Jesus said, it is not right to, give, to take the breath of the children and give it or throw it to the dogs. Wow. If there was a day, if there was ever a day when Jesus was harsh, towards people, I would say this was one of those days. He called her a dog. And the thing is that she was a Canaanite. And if you remember, the Canaanites were the arch enemies of Israel. They were the ones who, in the first place, possessed the land of Israel, where now Israel is. <clears throat> so she was not just any Gentile. She was the arch enemy of <clears throat> the people of Israel. But what is more impressive, uh, in my opinion, about the story is what the woman said to Jesus. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs are allowed to eat from the crumbs that fail, that fall from their master's table. It is like Jesus, uh, the woman is saying, yes, yes, Lord, I am what you say I am. I am unworthy. I am undeserving. But just a tiny little bit of your grace would be more than enough to me. Why is Jesus being apparently or seemingly so harsh towards this poor mother. Well, in the first place, Matthew would say, uh, well, he would, not, he would not say that, but uh, studying Matthew, we would understand that he, Jesus is testing the faith of the woman. But I also think that Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, that Paul, in the, in the chapter that we are going to be reading today, give us another reason for that. So I'm going to ask uh, Aaron, please, to come and read the passage for us today. <clears throat> Romans 15, 8 through 21. 
For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of the signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard him will understand. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Thank you, Adam. Why do we do missions? That's um, the question that I would like to ask um, throughout the sermon. Where did the idea of doing missions come from? <clears throat> Some people would uh, try to answer to this question by pointing to Matthew uh, chapter 28, verse 19, where it says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. <clears throat> but what if I tell you that we don't actually engage in doing missions because Jesus commanded us to do it in the New Testament, but instead, because the root and the basis for missions are in the Old Testament and actually goes back to the covenant of circumcision with Abraham. So what I want us to do today is to consider God's uh, acts of redemption beginning from God's covenant with Abraham to the present and how he unfolds his plans of redemption through missions. That's what we uh, are going to be uh, considering today. So let me show how Paul develops his thoughts in this section of Romans. Uh, in chapter 15, verse uh, 8, Paul says, that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. And actually, the original says that Christ became a servant of the circumcision. Now, the reason why the translator rendered the phrase to the circumcised instead of of the circumcision is because they knew that a servant of the circumcision is a clear reference 
to the Jews. So in other words, <clears throat> the phrase means that Christ was sent only to the Jews. But as uh, John Murray uh, suggests, there is a deeper meaning of the phrase of the circumcision. If we remember, if we recall, if we consider that circumcision was the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament. So how is it, how is it that for Paul, missions are based on the covenant of circumcision. How is Christ becoming, becoming a servant of the circumcision related to his missionary work? Well, notice that Paul gives us two purposes uh, as, uh, for Christ becoming a servant of the circumcision. And the first one is to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs to confirm the promises given, given to the patriarchs. In other words, Christ came, became a servant of the circumcision to fully realize and fulfill the promises that God gave Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Jesus came to the Jews, Abraham's promises were confirmed and fulfilled in him, as Second Corinthians 1.20 says, which is the first, actually, uh, the first song that we were singing this morning uh, at the beginning. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. And that means that all the promises of God find their fulfillment in Christ. He is <clears throat> the one who fulfills fulfills those promises. Now, you will remember that when God called Abraham, God promised him, God promised Abraham that he would make him a great nation and that it, in Abraham all the families of the earth would be blessed. Then, when God ratified the covenant with Isaac and Jacob, he gave them the same promises. So part of the promises to the patriarchs was that Gentile nations would be blessed in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Christ would have to become a servant of the circumcision to fulfill those promises that included Gentiles. So you see that God's missionary purpose for Paul included Gentiles from the beginning of the covenant. It is like a way to say, if the promises are fulfilled for the Jews, then in the, in the same way, the promises are going to be also fulfilled for Gentiles. But we can see more clearly uh, we can more clearly see how Paul, Paul's missionary efforts are based on the covenant with Abraham in the second purpose of Christ becoming a servant of the circumcision. And that is that Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That Gentiles 
might glorify God for his mercy. In other words, Gentiles are saying, thank you for giving us to Abraham as his children. Thank you for giving us to Abraham as his children. Now, when God told Abraham that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed, this blessing does not refer to any kind of blessing, like small, minor blessings. Like, you know, uh, families would do well, and they would prosper, and they would grow in a well-civilized world. That's not the blessing that this promise is about. This is the blessing of salvation. It is the blessing of regeneration by the Spirit. By, uh, uh, it is the blessing of justification, adoption, and sanctification. It is the blessing of becoming a child of Abraham and having all your sins forgiven in Christ. So missions in the first place are based and rooted in the covenant of circumcision with Abraham because Gentiles, you and I, were included as part of the promises to Abraham. You are not the result of the failing of God's plan of redemption. You are not a second-class citizen of the heaven. You are or you were right from the beginning in God's plans. And that's why he said to, him, to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And you being sitting here in front of me are the result of that blessing of Abraham. That is exciting. If you don't get excited by that, I don't know what is going to get you excited. Now, let us consider my second point. In my second point, I want to consider the nature of missions in redemption uh, history. What is the nature of Paul's missionary ambition? The nature of missions in God's plan of salvation. What is, what is the nature? And, and by nature of uh, Paul's missionary ambition, I mean the kind of jobs uh, that Paul describes in, in, in this section, the type, the kind of job that Paul describes in this section. After discussing the second goal of Christ becoming a servant of circumcision, in Romans 15, verses 14 through 21, Paul, conne uh, Paul connects the truth that Gentiles would glorify God with would glorify God, excuse me, with his own ministry and ambition to preach the gospel all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum and even Spain and probably Rome. Paul is connecting the fact that the Gentiles would glorify God with his own ministry, with what he is doing. And Paul's connecting the truth that the Gentiles would glorify God with, with his own ministry means that Paul's missionary efforts to the Gentiles flow from 
are rooted in and are fueled by the covenant of circumcision with Abraham. No, 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 no. Missions are not a New Testament concept or idea that only uh, appears in the book of Acts when Jesus is gone. If you have that idea in mind, please get rid of it because that is not the case. God's missions are rooted in the promises of the Old Testament given to the um, people of Israel, to the uh, patriarchs of Israel. And we can say that even uh, rooted in eternity. But it also means that Paul's missionary efforts to the Gentiles are how God fulfill God fulfills his promises to the patriarchs of Israel. God, uh, uh, Paul's missionary efforts to the Gentiles are the how God fulfills his promises to the patriarchs of Israel. That's the implication of the fact that he's linking uh, the phrase, the Gentiles will, will glorify God to his ministry. In other words, Paul's missionary ambitions are the means by which God fulfills the promises to the patriarchs of Israel. That is exciting because redemption, redemption history hasn't come to its conclusion. It is still going on. It is still being developed. It is bringing to its consummation, uh, the consummation of the ages. That is right. But that means that if the history of redemption is still the ongoing process of God saving everyone he wants to save, that means that you can also participate in God's story of bringing everything under subjection to his son. You know, missionaries that I have talked to, they say that there are three ways you can support and do the missionary work. One is praying, the second one is giving, and the third one is going. And I don't know what is God calling you to do, but we should be involved in missions in one way or another. Either praying by praying, either by giving, or even by going. And, and by the way, just if you didn't get one of these, please support the mission. Now, in doing missionary work, Paul tells, uh, Paul tells us that he acts as an Old Testament priest. It's, it's very interesting. He says that he received God's grace to be a minister to the Gentiles. And, and the word that Paul uses here to refer to himself as a minister is the word liturgos. I, I know that you knew that, but I just wanted to repeat it. Liturgos. It's just a, the, the, the Greek uh, term uh, uh, and, and, and is from which our word liturgy comes. Um, and this word uh, indicates or describes the liturgy in the tabernacle and later in the temple. 
where priests and Levites were ministering at the temple and offering sacrifices that Israel would bring to God. So in other words, when Paul is describing himself as a minister and he's saying, I am a priest, this is worship language. The language of the tabernacle liturgy and later uh, in the history of Israel of the temple liturgy as well. So Paul describes himself as a priest of Christ who brings an offering to worship God when he is doing the work of missions. Now, this idea is uh, reinforced in the following section in verse 16, if, if, if you uh, uh, read it. And he, uh, in this section, he describes uh, his work in a priestly, uh, in a priestly way. And he says, so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, in our English uh, translation, uh, our English translation can be actually a little bit misleading because it is unclear what the offering of the Gentiles refers to. One way of taking uh, this phrase to mean is that the, the, is that the Gentiles are bringing offering to God, that they are the ones worshiping God. They become before God, acknowledging that he is worthy of praise, worthy of, uh, uh, of worship, and they are bringing offerings to God. And although it sounds great, that is not what the text says. You know what the text says? Do you want to know? Well, oh, thank you for asking. Thank you for saying that. Well, the original says that it is not the Gentiles that are bringing offerings to God, but that the Gentiles are the offering that Paul is offering to God. That is, wow. Because if we are, in an ultimate sense, the result of Paul's missions, then that means that Paul also, in a way, offered you as an offering to God. An offering that becomes worthy and sanctified by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, so that you as an offering to God may be accepted. That is, that is amazing. So in other words, as I said, in his missionary efforts, Paul acts as an Old Testament priest who offers up the Gentiles to God as a sacrifice. He is, Paul is entering the Holy of Holies, as it were, bringing the Gentiles into God's presence as an offering that becomes worthy of God through the supernatural and sanctified power of the Holy Spirit. That is the nature and the character of Paul's missionary work to the Gentiles. But in doing so, in doing the work of 
uh, the missionary work, in doing so, Paul is not acting by himself. In doing so, Paul is acting together with the high priest, the perfect high priest, with Jesus Christ. Listen to how humbly Paul, uh, Paul speaks in verse 18. And he says, For I will not venture to speak of anything, anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. What Christ has accomplished through me. He's not saying, I have done this. He's, he is actually saying, it is Christ who is doing the work of missions. And he is just using me to do it. What Christ has accomplished through Paul is what gives Paul the ambition to, sp uh, to spread the gospel everywhere and in new places. Because when Paul preaches, Christ is preaching the gospel with him and the Holy Spirit also, if you read that section, um, is manifesting also his power. So for Paul, knowing that Christ um, is preaching through him, knowing that he is acting as a priest of Jesus, knowing that Gentiles are part of the covenant, uh, 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 excuse me, uh, that Gentiles are part of the promise of the covenant of circumcision with Abraham, makes him want to go ev to every corner of the world to preach the gospel. He understands his ministry is how God will accomplish the promises to the Father. Now, this is really the way to think about missions. It is exciting to think about missions uh, this way. When we um, get involved in doing missions, think that in a way, you are doing the work of a priest. The Bible says that you are a priest too. And that you can, in a way, offer, bring offerings to God to worship him, to please him. And here at Ironworks, we have so many opportunities to uh, get involved in the work of missions. I have been uh, uh, honored and I have been blessed in, uh, by my, my participation uh, working at the Phoenixville Refuge here in Ironworks. And actually, I don't know if you know the, the story of how I got here, but uh, I am part of the, 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 the vision of reaching out to the Hispanic community here in Phoenixville. And Phoenixville Refuge gives us a huge opportunity to reach out to the Hispanic community. I would like to take this time to encourage you to think about how in different ways in which you can also get involved. And think that when you do that, you are 
also, as Paul is saying here, uh, acting as a priest, offering um, offerings to God to worship him. Now, for my third point, I want you to notice something fundamental in Paul's theology of missions, or in his work of missions. And it is this. Are you ready? The central, oh, yeah, I'm seeing here. The goal of missions in redemption, in redemption history. Or put it another way, the centrality of God in doing missions. In Paul's theology of missions, God is at the very center of it. In Paul's theology of missions, God is at the very center of it. God is the primary concern in Paul's efforts to reach out to the Gentiles. The goal of doing missions for Paul is first is, is God first and foremost. Always. How do we know that this is the case? Well, well, listen to how Paul describes his work in verse 17. He says, In Christ, I then have reason to be proud of my work for God. My work for God. So, the four is indicating the, the goal of missions, right? Paul labors as a missionary to the Gentile world for God's sake. When he works, he's thinking about the result that he is going to bring in terms of worshiping God. God is the highest goal of, mission, uh, of missions, and he, Paul, is a missionary for God. But we can also see the uh, centeredness of God in Paul's mission, in his theology of missions, in the four quotations from the Old Testament that Paul gave us from verses 9 through, uh, through 12. And if you read through them, we don't have time to go through each one of them, but if you do it later, you will find, you will see that in those quotations, the object that Gentiles are praising is who? God. God is the object of their praises. The theme, if you keep reading, the theme of their singing is God's name. They are singing to the name of God. So again, God is the ultimate goal. God is the center. God is the reason we do missions. And then, if you keep reading, you'll see that the one who rules the Gentiles, the one who is the hope of the Gentiles, is again God. So God is at the center, the highest goal of missions.
But there is one more example where we can see the centrality of God in Paul's missionary efforts. Verses, uh, verse 8 says, and, and I already read it, the gen, uh, so, that the, so that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. In other words, Paul is saying, if I am going to reach out to the Gentiles with the gospel of Christ, the end goal is that God will be seen in all the splendor of his beauty, that they will say, that the Gentiles will, will say, there is none like you. You are God. There is none like you. There is no other name so, so, uh, so blind, so sweet that I want to sing about, but the name of my God, of my Redeemer. He is awesome. He is marvelous. He is great. That is the goal of missions. The highest goal of missions is God himself. So as um, Paul, as for Paul, this should be, as for Paul, excuse me, this should also be the motto, the motto that fuels every, every missionary effort, everywhere, but especially here at Ironworks. We should do missions and engage in the missionary work so that Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And you, and you know, I hope that this will give you encouragement uh, and, 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 and that this will help you to, be, to have a, uh, a mission-minded life. This is the right way to encourage people to do the missionary work. You know, there are times when um, the church have failed um, in, in, a, in a very terrible way. And I think one of the ways in which the church has failed in encouraging people to go into the mission field is by using guilt or the feeling of guilt to call young people, young college students to go into the mission field. I remember there was one time when I was in college and I got fed up with how in my college, uh, they were trying to encourage people to go and to do um, missions overseas. And I'm pretty sure you have heard, if not, um, this is what some missionaries or some reports uh, come from uh, the missionary field to us here in America. And there are some stories of uh, people who live there that they have they have dreams. They are dreaming. Uh, and some of them uh, will have dreams uh, with, where they are hearing the name of Jesus. Others will have dreams uh, where they uh, dream with the number 316. And someone in their dreams is going to tell the, uh, tell the, the, the person, uh, the, the, the person having the dream, go to your neighbor, a missionary guy or girl or whatever, um, or family, I mean. Um, 
Go to your neighbor who lives on street so and so and ask him to tell you what the meaning of the name Jesus is. Or and ask him to, ta- uh, to tell you what the meaning of John 3.16 uh, is. And apparently this is an opportunity to preach the gospel to them. Now, um, I'm not going to discuss whether this is truth or not. That's not my point. But what I want to say is that there was this lady in my college that she used that information and brought it to the students in college. And she said the following thing. Why are you letting Jesus Christ to preach the gospel by himself? And then she started to cry and say, why are you letting Jesus Christ to preach the gospel for himself? He is alone in the mission field because you don't want to go to the mission field. You know, do you know what impact uh, that had on us students? Probably half of the student body came to the altar that day crying and asking God forgive us because we're not going to the mission field. We were full of guilt because here in America we are so comfortable when thousands of thousands of people are dying, going into eternity without Christ and without the gospel. I'm so sorry if you have heard that story or that kind of invitation to participate in in missions. That's not how Paul wants us to think and to be encouraged to go to the mission field or to be involved in any kind of mission activity or event or ministry. I'm so sorry if you, if you, if you have that background. I'm, I'm suspecting that many of you heard that. The way of Paul is a better way. What is that way of Paul? Paul quotes five, I'm sorry, four quotations from the Old Testament. He said, if you are going to consider going into the mission field or being involved in any kind of ministry that is related to the missions, think that God is the one. He is the one who is going to be worshipped and adored and thanked. He is the one who is going to be the, the, the one glorified. So if you want to be encouraged about going to the mission field, think about the result that that, that is going to bring to God. He will be worshipped, loved, treasured by those people who don't know him yet. And I will encourage you, please consider to support missions in one or another way. Please stand.